I'd like for you to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 24. Exodus 24. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 first, and then um, get, go back to the first part of the chapter. But reading verse 9, then, if you've got a pencil, you want to circle that word, then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Did you know this was in the Bible? And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Now, to them God had a, a human form that that stood on a, on a foundation, at least that was their vision of him, their, um, uh, their comprehension of him. Look at verse 11. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they beheld God, say it the second time, and they ate and drank. Now I want you to take a pencil or your pen and circle that deal, put out in somewhere in the margin to remember to read that again. Because what we are introduced to here is, a, is an event, is a, a scene for which there has never been anything a parallel to it. Not um, before the divine incarnation itself. So something happened in Moses' day that is unparalleled in all Old Testament history, and there has not been nothing like this until men one day looked on Jesus, the incarnation of God. These men um, saw God. Some people call this event the Mount, the Old Testament Mount of Transfiguration. Well, something happened there with these men and these 70 men, the elders of Israel representing the nation, and they literally went into the presence of God and saw Him, and they were perfectly at home there because they ate and drank there. And when that event was finished, when that was over, for 1,500 years, the Jews existed as a nation prior to the Incarnation, and nothing like this ever occurred again. So you and I have just been introduced to a scene unparalleled in Old Testament history. Now I want you to go back with me to the first verse of chapter 24, and I'm going to read some things that are introductory to that event. Look at this. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not go near, nor shall the people come up with him. Now, here is the event. God is inviting them into his presence, and they are to worship at a far, at a distance, Moses is the only one, the mediator, who is allowed to come until something happened. I want you to skip now to verse 5. 
And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Now watch this. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then they went into the presence of God. Now I want us to catch up just a little bit here about some things we've um, um, discussed as we've studied the Old Testament, the book of Exodus in particular. One of them is, is that there is a tremendous message in the Old Testament in typology. And that is that there are these events that happen in the Old Testament that are foreshadowings or foregleanings of an event yet to come. So that when you get over to the New Testament, you see the full and final revelation of God in Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, there are these events that foreshadow that great event. So all of time in the Old Testament is looking forward to the one central event of history that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And what you see in the Old Testament many times, many scenes, many events, many people, is a foreshadowing of that revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Now you and I are able to look back upon that because we live in a New Testament era. We are able to look back to the Old Testament and see the Old Testament as it unfolds in light of what we now understand in the full revelation of God and Jesus Christ. But in that day it was called typology. And these types of these events are picturing something that would, would come to pass was yet to come. There is a second thing that we've tried to remember, and I've rehearsed it in my Sunday school class. Many of them are here tonight. They can say it with me. In fact, I, when I start, I just give them the motion and they answer it. You get the principles of the Christian life in the New Testament, and you get the pictures of those principles in the Old Testament. That's a way to go, all right? Now what you have in the New Testament are principles of the Christian life. These principles are enunciated and disclosed and, and ordained and, and outlined, whatever you'd say there. But when you come to the New Testament and you get these principles, you can look back on the Old Testament and you can see them illustrated. So that makes the Old Testament come alive. It gives the Old Testament meaning. It helps you see the meaning of the Old Testament. For the Old Testament is there for one purpose. One purpose of the Old Testament is, is that it gives illustration of New Testament principle, New Testament principles. Now, let's put that together with what we've just read. Man and God are at a distance. Man cannot worship God except from a distance until the sprinkling of the blood. And they made an altar, did Moses, and he took the sacrifice of these animals and he caught the blood in a basin and he inaugurated what 
would become the sacrificial system later on of Mosaic law, and he sprinkled this blood on the people and on the altar because the New Testament principle is that only a man who comes under the sprinkling of the blood can come into the presence of God. Now, I know that's a grotesque, and you know, we don't want to talk about terms like sprinkled blood, and people don't understand what I'm talking about. That, that's spiritual and symbolical, of course, but what the, the whole connotation is this, is that the only way a man can come into God's presence is through the blood of the sacrifice. You understand that, don't you? This is yes, and this is no. Now what is the blood of the sacrifice, sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice? What was the sacrifice? It was our Lord Himself. And the glory of this is, is that a blood-sprinkled people are able to come into God's presence. What a New Testament thought that is in an Old Testament picture. So he sprinkled the altar and he sprinkled the people and because of this they came into God's presence. And so we sing it, that song we sing here occasionally. I must needs go on in the blood-sprinkled way. You know what you're singing? You're singing the 24th chapter of the book of Exodus. That when a person has come under by faith the sacrifice of the blood of Christ, he then has access into God's own presence. Hallelujah. I thought you'd be up jumping up doing high five. What a thought. Now, there is another typology that moves from there and it begins in verse, 20, verse 13 of the same chapter. Look at this. So Moses arose with Joshua his servant and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him, let, uh, him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the midst of the, of the cloud. And as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now there is a second typology. Now I have a... I'm prone to um, um, typology in the Old Testament. You, 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 you understand that. You've recognized that already. Uh, it's, not, it's not ministerial license, but I, I am prone to typology. I believe in, with all my heart that there's more to the Old Testament than just the surface stuff we read. It's more than just an account. I think there's a second typology here in the, in, this, in, in the character of Moses went up on the mountain. Now, you're familiar with the uh, Bible enough to know that it took how many days to create the earth? Six days, and what happened on the seventh? God rested, right? And so this cloud was on the mountain for six days. On the seventh day, he invited Moses to come up into his presence. It is my humble and accurate opinion 
<laughs> that is a typology of the ascension, that when Jesus finished his work, our Father called him to rest, to sit down. Hebrews talks about it. And he, when he finished his work, he sat down at the right hand of God. And all of this is a picture of the event that is about to transpire in the, in, on, the, on the timeline of history, that one event to which all of history moves, and that is the great redeeming work of Jesus Christ. His death, His resurrection, and His ascension. Now, if this is preparatory, and if it is... Uh, um, that which uh, presupposes an event to come. We're going to come to the 25th chapter and look at the tabernacle, which is in the Old Testament, in Old Testament typology, the greatest example you will ever find of God in Christ in human history. Now, if you got, uh, if you're interested at all in um, what what might be, uh, you know, the a deeper understanding of Old Testament, or you got somebody to you, try to get them involved in the study, this study of the tabernacle. It will be of great great uh, insight to you. I think if you, if you if you don't believe it, it'll be something you can think about. Now, 25th chapter of Exodus. Now, I'm going to introduce this, and and I I will be. Uh, I won't, you know, go beyond what you're able to endure. <laughs> so we will have time to, who's that chuckling over there? <laughs> Exodus 25. We have arrived at the longest and most blessed, but least read and least understood section in the book of Exodus. From the beginning of chapter 25, to the end of chapter 40, except for a brief parenthesis, which involves chapters 32 through 34, the Holy Spirit has given us a description of the tabernacle, its structure, its furniture, and its priesthood. Now how important is this in Old Testament scripture? Well. How many chapters were devoted to the creation of the world? Two chapters. I don't know how much you can put, stock you can put in this, but it does seem to me that this has some significance. In the creation of the world, the record of God's creating the earth and fitting the earth for its function, there are two chapters. Whereas when you come to this event, the preparation of the tabernacle, it takes 10 chapters to tell about it. Now the tabernacle has no fewer than three meanings. Get, get this please. The tabernacle is a type, a visible illustration of the heavenly place in which God live, dwells, where God lives. A visible demonstration of where God dwells. Now, where he is, you know, where he dwells tonight, we call that heaven. You do believe in heaven, don't you? How many of you believe heaven is a literal place? Lift your hand. Okay, the rest of you must believe it's a state of mind. Okay, so I believe it's a, sta it's a literal place, a, a place. Start to say, state. 
get myself in trouble. And I believe it's a literal place. Okay, don't, 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 don't misunderstand me. It's easy for you to say. Right. Now, where God dwells in the heavens, wherever that is, the tabernacle is a visible illustration of that dwelling place of God. All right, second. The tabernacle is a type of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the strange part and the intriguing part to me. That Jesus Christ, uh, that, that the tabernacle is a type of Jesus Christ. It foreshadows Him. Its typology is of Him. So that in the, the structure of the tabernacle and in all of its furniture, it all has a meaning that relates to Jesus. God's temporary dwelling place on earth. You didn't know that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself so that for, 40, for, for less than 40 years, for 33 years, God dwelt on the earth in Jesus Christ. What a marvelous thing it is. Hope my Mormon friends are watching tonight so they can hear me say again, and when Jesus walked on this earth, God was walking on this earth. In Jesus' body, God dwelt in fullness. So that, that, that the tabernacle, which is this temporary dwelling place of God in the wilderness, typifies and foreshadows the day when God would indwell His Son on the earth. You with me now? All right, third. The tabernacle is the type of the place where God meets with man. The place where God meets with man. Now let's go back to the first. The tabernacle is a, um, a type, a visible illustration of the heavenly place in which God dwells. Let me read you some verses of Scripture that talk about the dwelling place of God. Jeremiah puts it like this, O glorious throne on high, from the beginning is the place of your sanctuary. The psalmist puts it like this, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in His holy place? And the revelator puts it like this, After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. He saw this place where God dwelled. Now somewhere in the heavens, God has a dwelling place, and there God dwells, and there God is, and there is a tabernacle to typify that or picture that. To the second place, the tabernacle is a type of the Lord Jesus Himself, particularly of Him here on earth during the days of His flesh. Jesus as the tabernacle was God's dwelling place in the midst of Israel. And so Colossians says, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And while they carried this tabernacle around, it was the temporary dwelling place of God. And they'd put this tabernacle up, and they'd go to the tabernacle and say, God is there. And as they watched Jesus live his life, they could say he is the fleshly dwelling place of God. I love it. Third, there is this place where God and his people meet. Now watch this carefully. The tabernacle was divided into three sections, and we'll talk about these in detail later. 
But in the back part of that tabernacle was the holiest of holies, the holy place. And in the holiest of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And those who have been in my Sunday school class, we've dwelt on this. Y'all heard this before? Tommy, you heard this? Paula? This Ark of the Covenant, all it was was a box. And this box was the museum of Israel's spiritual history. It contained Aaron's rod that budded. It contained the showbread and the tablets on which the commandments were written. And on the top of this box, it's called the mercy seat, the cherubim and the seraphim dwell. On the top of this box was a lid that was raised a little bit, like a lip. And that was, listen to me carefully, that was the symbolical place of God's dwelling. And he dwelt there in what is called his, what, glory. Shekinah glory. Can you say that word with me? Shekinah glory. It was, what was, it was what they saw in the burning bush. The word in the, that, the burning means shakanah, burning fire, shekinah, glory. And so God dwelt in his shekinah glory over this box. And in order to meet God, man went to the door of the tabernacle, and that was the place where God and man met. Let me tell you how you meet God. You meet him through the person of Jesus Christ. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Job said it of old. He said, I wish we had an umpire, a mediator, who could stand between us and argue both cases. We have that mediator. We have that dwelling, that, that, uh, that meeting place. And that meeting place where man and God come together is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to hurry. I've got 10 minutes. The key to the tabernacle. You getting this? Breathe so I know you're still awake and still out there. You're still, you're still with me, right? Okay. The key to the tabernacle is Christ. Now as a whole and, each, and in each of its parts, the tabernacle foreshadowed the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each item, each detail in its Type of, type of, uh, typified significance expressed or illustrated some aspect of his ministry or some excellency in his person. Each part of the tabernacle typified something about his person or about his ministry. All right, you got your, you got your deal. We're going to do seven of them. We're going to hurry right through them right quick. First, the tabernacle was a temporary appointment, a temporary appointment. It differed from the temple of Solomon, which was a permanent um, structure, so that it was simply a tent, a temporary convenience, and it moved. So our Lord was here just temporarily. He didn't come here to stay. And when he came here, and he didn't stay long, he didn't stay in one place long. I mean, he moved. There is this temporary appointment. Second, the tabernacle was for, the, for use in the wilderness. After they settled in Canaan, the tabernacle disappeared, was superseded by the temple. Didn't disappear, but it's superseded by the temple. 
So the tabernacle foreshadowed two things. It foreshadowed the fact that he had nowhere to lay his head, and it foreshadowed the fact that this earth is not our permanent dwelling place. This is a wilderness, no place to stay, no place to put down roots. You understand what I'm saying? The tabernacle was a was for use in the wilderness so that it, we're on the move. This is not our permanent dwelling place. Number three, the tabernacle was humble and unattractive in outward appearance. It was made of, of boards and animal skins. And there was nothing about it that was, that was uh, beautiful or pleasing to the eye. It was just plain and, and uh, plain Jane. Excuse me, those of you who are named Jane. I didn't mean to insult you. Just plain, just plain old thing. And it typified what was said about Jesus when it says that he, there was nothing in him, there, there was no form or comeliness, and they saw no beauty that they should desire him. And the common people loved him. And there was something about this man, Jesus, although he was royalty, as royalty has never been before. And there was this regality and authority about him that people understood. Ecousia, this out of his essence was this power to command. But he was so common that children clamored to sit in his lap and poor people ate his throne and he manifested his presence by the Shekinah glory. And in 33 years, he dwelled in Jesus. And behind this veil of flesh was the glory of God just waiting to come out. And so one day it did. And they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory that was hidden behind a veil of flesh, not oozed out, but burst out, couldn't contain it any longer. And they beheld His glory. They beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there is nothing to me that is any more abhorrent than the, than the notion that Jesus Christ was just a good man. He was God in flesh, and this flesh just veiled His glory for a while. All right, number five. The tabernacle was therefore the place where God met with man. It was called the tent of meeting. If an Israelite desired to draw near unto Jehovah, he had to come near, he had to come to the door of the tabernacle. And the, and the scripture says in verse 21 and 22 of this chapter, and there I meet with thee, and I will commune with thee. Number, number um, six, is it six? 15 or 17, whichever it is. Whatever's next, the tabernacle was the place where sacrifice was made. Now, there's some discussion about um, sacrifices up to this time. We do know that Cain and Abel made sacrifice, and they were the first folks around. 
And we do know that there was sacrifice that was being done in acts of worship, but this place became the place where the sacrifice that typified the sacrifice that brings man to God was made. And in this structure, in the outer court, stood the brazen altar to which the animals were brought and on which the animals were slain. And how do you explain Jesus Christ apart from the supreme sacrifice? Ask any child what he knows about Jesus and he'll tell you he shed his blood for him. He was crucified on the cross for him. So every time they brought the sacrifice to the tabernacle, this symbolical place of God's presence, this place where they met God, they were looking forward to the one event when the final sacrifice was made. Next one. The tabernacle had but one door. It was a large dwelling, had one, one entrance. And Jesus said, I'm the door into the sheepfold. I'm the door that leads to life. And if anybody else gets into the sheepfold except through me, through my entrance, he's a, a hireling, he's a thief. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. That's the idea. One last thought and we're out of here. Here's an intriguing thought. The tabernacle was approached through the, through the tribe of Judah. Now when they put the tabernacle down and they they established where the tribes would be. The entrance of the tabernacle was on the east side where the tribe of Judah was stationed so that the tabernacle was approached through, and, and through the tribe of Judah. You had to go over their territory. You had, to go, you had to pass through their property. You had to go through the tribe of Judah to get in to approach the tabernacle. And Jesus is called the Lion of what? Of the tribe of Judah. Uh, from this tribe of Judah has come the one who is the Savior of the world. So from this one who is of the tribe of Judah has come an entrance to the dwelling place through the acceptance of, through the communion with Almighty God Himself. Now, if in the tabernacle, in all that it is, and all of its structure, and all of its furniture, you can find Jesus Christ, I want you to commit yourself to come and discover that with me in days to come. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you've not left us as orphans without a way to yourself, that in even in history past, you were there making provision to meet us in the wildernesses of our lives and in the wilderness of our wandering and in our unbelief and our rebellion you set yourself down and said come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly at heart you shall find rest unto your soul and I pray that we'll do that tonight, all of us who are restless without Christ. For it's in His name I pray. Now there are three invitations tonight. I invite you to come and accept Christ as your Savior. Make a commitment of your heart and life to Him. In faith, trust Him. Walk with Him. 
let him commit himself to you as you commit yourself to him. Or maybe you need to come tonight and join our church and, or rededicate your life to a closer walk with God while we stand to sing. We invite you to come. Would you come?